This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Thanks very much. Uh, well, our subject that I've been given today is... Uh, Bible teaching about heaven and hell. Now in dealing with this subject, what we want to try and do is to be positive. And we want to concentrate as much as we can on what the Bible has to say about these two subjects. Uh, however, what we do need to do for some of the time is to spend some of it being negative. Because the problem is so many people have misconceptions on this subject. Now the problem starts with the idea that man has a part of him that lives on after death. Uh, and that part that lives on uh, is generally called the soul. So then if you've got a part of us that lives on when we die, you, you, you've got the problem. Where does it go to? So therefore we, we've got the common belief that well, when we die, the good go to heaven and the bad go to hell. So what does the Bible actually have to say about these two places? Are they the places that we're told by various clergymen and so forth, are they the places that we'll go to when we die? So firstly, let's start by looking at what the Bible has to say uh, about heaven. The Bible uses the term heaven in, in two ways. Firstly, as it says on the screen there, it, it uses it to describe the sky above us, that the vast expanse of space in which all the stars exist. Now very often when the word is used in this way, it's used in the plural. It talks about heavens. I'll quickly throw up a few quotations, um, one after the other, to, to, that are examples of how the Bible uses it to describe the sky above us. Uh, and the first obvious one is in creation, where it talks about uh, when God made the sun, moon and stars, uh, and in, in verse 14 of Genesis 1, it says he set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth. Or if we go through to uh, the book of Exodus in chapter 32, uh, in the 13th verse, this is part of a prayer that Moses gave to God. Uh, and he prays that God would remember uh, the promises that he'd made to Abraham, uh, to Isaac and to Israel. Uh, and one of those promises was that God would multiply descendants as the stars of heaven. Or if we go over to Psalm 97 and look at the 6th verse, uh, it says there, The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Or again, one from the New Testament in the 2nd book of Peter, chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, Therefore, this they willingly forget. This is talking about the fact that God destroyed the earth with the flood. Um, this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water in the water that it, it went on and perished. Now there are many other examples of this which we could quote 
But usually it's quite obvious when you're reading the passage, uh, when you look at it in its context, that it, what it means, that it's talking about the sky or the universe. So that's the first way the Bible talks about heaven. The second way is it, it describes heaven as the dwelling place of God. Now, the sky is sort of out of reach, out of reach and, and somewhat mysterious, so it would become appropriate then to, to think of this as the place where God is. And, and therefore the word heaven or heavens is often used to describe the dwelling place of God. And again, some very quick examples to, to show you. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, if you look at Deuteronomy 26, verse 15, it says there, um, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us. Or if we go over to the second book of Samuel and look at uh, chapter 22 and verse 14, it says, The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And if uh, Psalm 11, it says in verse 14, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Or if we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there in chapter 5 and verse 2, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. One from the New Testament then. Some very well known words from the book of Matthew uh, chapter 6 and verse 9 where Jesus gives them what's gen his disciples what's generally called the Lord's Prayer. He says, In this manner therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I should point out they're all quotations that I'm reading out to you now. They're all from the New King James Version. And again, there are other passages we could uh, quote in this vein, such as Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, or Matthew chapter 5, in verses 16, and again in verse 45. We also know from the Bible that as well as God dwelling in heaven, there are angels there with him. And again, there are a number of passages we could go to to, to support this. For example, 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 19. Uh, then Micah, Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. Now the hosts of heaven, it's a, that's a term that the Bible sometimes uses to talk about angels so showing their angels are there with God in heaven um, some words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10 he said take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones some children is talking about for I say to you that in heaven their angel is always angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven or if we go to the account of the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1 um, in verse 19 we read there the angel answered and said to him to Joseph I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings so God is in heaven 
and with him in heaven are the angels. And another important teaching uh, in the Bible is that Jesus, following his death and resurrection, ascended to heaven to be with his Father. Uh, We read of the ascension of Jesus in in Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 9 to 11, how the disciples were standing there on Mount of Olives and Jesus was taken up from before him into heaven. And there, uh, in heaven, he's waiting until the time is right to return to the earth to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. And at the same time as Jesus ascended into heaven, we're told Jesus was exalted by God and given all power and control over God's creation. For example, if we look at Hebrews chapter 1, in the first uh, three verses, we're told there, talking about Jesus, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, The the writer to the Hebrews quotes from Psalm 8 uh, and applies it to Jesus and says, You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and set him over the work of your hands. You've put all things in subject under his feet. And again, uh, another passage in the book of the Acts of the Apostles and chapter 2. Talking about Jesus, it says there, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Note that last bit of that passage because we want to come back to that shortly. But there are other passages which talk about this Jesus going to heaven and Jesus being exalted at the right hand of the Father, uh, such as Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. Or we could go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. Or look at 1 Peter 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 22 and there are others. But that, cha- that quotation from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, is interesting because it tells us that um, Jesus has ascended into heaven, but it also helps to demonstrate that this one exception, men do not go to heaven when they die. Notice what it says about David. Now David was the greatest king of Israel and he's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Even this man, it says, has not ascended into heaven. A man after God's own heart and he has not ascended into heaven. Now if it wasn't possible for that man to go into heaven when he died, then what chance is there for anyone else? We just want to bring to your mind then two passages in the Gospel of John where we see that Jesus teaches us the same thing. No one goes to heaven except Jesus himself. And the first of these passages is in John chapter 3. And if we look at verse 13, he says there, No man has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. 
Or later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, uh, and verse 33, he's talking to his disciples, and he brings to his disciples' minds something that he'd said to the scribes and the Pharisees earlier. And he says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, Where I am going, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So he said to the Jews earlier, I'm going away, and you won't be able to find me. And now he's saying to the disciples, his his closest followers, I'm going away from you, and where I'm going, you can't follow me there. Where did he go? Well, we've just seen, haven't we? He went into heaven. There is nowhere, nowhere in the Bible that teaches us that we have an immortal soul that can go to heaven. It teaches us God's in heaven, the angels are in heaven, and the Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven. But no one else. So that's what we're told about heaven. What about, what does the Bible have to say about hell? Now it's actually quite a a wide variety of opinion in people's minds as what hell is like even amongst um, professional clergymen in the 18th century uh, and the 1900s it it was common for uh, preachers to, to push the idea that hell was a place of eternal torment where the devil uh, took the wicked to torment them and it is still a commonly held belief among many uh, to push the idea of hell being a place uh, of eternal fire and torment however recently that that idea has been downplayed a lot by by preachers that they're slowly dropping it because well it doesn't make for good listening does it some time ago we, we had a discussion on the radio between two clergymen who held opposite views about um, what hell was like. Uh, I wrote down what the one man said. Um, He said that hell was the ultimate non-being, the final and irrevocable choosing against God. He, He was saying that God is the giver of life. And if we reject God, we reject life, he said. And he said, that's hell. If you think about that, it's all wrapped up in very fancy language and to make it almost sound quite pleasant. But if you think about it, it's actually quite close to the, to the truth. The other one, on the other hand, he believed in universal salvation and what he was saying is that, well, if you've been bad, then you'll go to hell where you'd be given a second chance and there you would learn to love God and then you'd go to heaven. I I have to say that in all my searches of the scriptures there is nothing anywhere in the Bible that can remotely be said to support that idea. It's purely a fiction, uh, a figment of that man's uh, imagination. What does the Bible actually say? What does it say about hell? Now it's complicated because 
When we read our Bibles, we have to rely on a translation. The Bible, the Old Testament, was originally written in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. And we have to rely on people to, who understand those languages to translate it for us. Now in the authorised version of the Bible, the word how occurs 31 times in the Old Testament and 21 times in the New Testament. However, if you're using one of the more modern English translations, then often you'll find the word hell doesn't occur at all. And what several of the modern translations have done is not to translate the original Greek or Hebrew word, but they leave it as it is. They do what they call transliterated into English. Now, why have they done that? Well, I think they, they've done it because there's a big difference between what popular belief is about the meaning of these words and what's conveyed in Scripture. But rather than admit this difference, that they've left the Greek and Hebrew word there in the text and then they leave it for the readers to, to work out for themselves the true meaning. Uh, but of course, most people won't bother and they'll carry on believing what they've always believed and what they've always been taught. But let's just look at, look at those words uh, that are translated in the authorised version as hell. Uh, and look at that because it's largely clergymen using the authorised version who first formulated the various ideas that people have. So, so what, what are those original Greek and Hebrew words? The original Hebrew word is the word Sheol. And it occurs 65 times in all in, in the, the Old Testament, in the authorised version. 31 times in the authorised version it's translated as hell. And 31 times as grave. And three times as pit. Now that immediately gives us an indication of what the word shale means. The most likely meaning for that word is grave. And if you look at the places where the authorised version has translated it as hell, you'll see that you could easily uh, substitute the word grave and it would still make sense. Now the origin of the word shale is it's an unseen or covered place. Uh, and so you can see that it would be an easy trans transition from that meaning to, to mean a grave. Now let's have a look at one or two places where that Hebrew word shil occurs uh, and where we'll see then that it's a place where all of our consciousness ceases. That there's no hint of it being a place of eternal punishment where uh, that many people believe that it is. First of all, let's look at Psalm 6. Uh, and verse 5 we read therefore in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave who will give you thanks or if we go to the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 38 and verse 18 it says therefore Sheol cannot thank you in the authorised version it's translated as grave Shale cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope. 
for your truth. Or if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, um, it says, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. And that's in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 9. And again, that word grave in the, is, is this, that Hebrew word shale. And there are other passages we could go to where there's a similar idea put forward to us. Psalm 30, verse 9, for example. Psalm 88, verses 10 to 12. Or Psalm 115, verse 17. All telling us that in Sheol, hell, there's no thought, no consciousness, or, or anything at all. So that's what the Old Testament says. What about um, hell in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, there are actually two different Greek words that we have to look at. The first of these is the word Hades. And, and that's translated in the authorised version as hell, ten times, and as grave, once. If you want to look up that time and it's translated as grave, it's in the first Corinthians chapter 15 and the 55th verse. <coughs> Now there's a very interesting use of the word Hades in Acts chapter 2. The Apostle Peter uh, is talking to some Jews on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem and is telling them about Jesus, how he'd been crucified, uh, how he'd been buried and then he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And then, uh, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, in verse 24, uh, he says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Okay, so then having stated that it wasn't possible for Jesus to be held bound by death, then in verses 25 to 28, Peter then goes on to quote from one of the Psalms. He quotes from Psalm 16 and verses 8 to 11. And he says that this Psalm, it's a prophecy that Jesus would be raised from the dead. Now when you look at the Psalm, it says, For you will not leave my soul in shale. And the authorised version translates that hell. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now when uh, Peter quotes from that psalm, he says, Because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And again, the authorised version translates that Hades as hell. So, because Acts was being written in Greek instead of Hebrew, like, uh, like the psalm was, he uses the Greek word Hades instead of the Hebrew word Sheol. Now that tells us that Hades in the New Testament is exactly the same place as Sheol in the Old Testament. And it also tells us that this Hades or Sheol is a place where our bodies will see corruption. That is, they'll de decay away to dust. Now if we look now at what Peter says about this psalm in verse 31 we'll see that Jesus himself was in hell or in Hades. He says, He, foreseeing this, the psalmist, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ that his soul 
was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up. Now there's a quandary, isn't it? If hell is the place where the wicked go to a death to be punished, why did Jesus go there? He was sinless. But of course that isn't the case. Hell is the grave. And Jesus was put in the grave when he died. But instead of seeing corruption and returning to dust, on the third day, God raised him to life again. Now that is the simple Bible teaching. When we die, we're put in a grave, and all our thoughts, knowledge, and feelings cease. And our body molds away to dust. There'll be no conscious existence anymore for any of us. And that's where we'll spend eternity unless we're raised to life again by the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to this earth. But wait a minute. You might be thinking, are there not places where the Bible does talk about being burned in hell fire and torment? Well, yes, there is. There's one passage where we read that word Hades that seems to be being used in that way. And that's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and verses 19 to 31. And in that passage, we have a parable about two men. One was a rich man, and the other was a poor man named Lazarus, and they both died. And the rich man was buried, we're told, in verse 22, while the poor man went to be with Abraham. Jesus said in Abraham's bosom and in verse 23 of Luke 16 it says and being in torment in Hades he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom but notice though this is a parable that Jesus was told just like he told a parable of the sower uh, and parable of the prodigal son and it's not meant to be taken literally. Jesus isn't saying this is what actually happens to us. What Jesus is doing is using one of the beliefs that many of the Jews had at that time to make his point. And the lesson that he was trying to teach at that time was that the Jews didn't believe in Jesus. And he's trying to show them that nothing he did could convince them that he was the Messiah. Even being raised from the dead it's interesting that not long after he told this parable he did actually raise a man called Lazarus from the dead and did that convince the Jews that he was the Messiah? no it didn't, all they did was say right we've got to put Lazarus to death again as well as putting Jesus to death he is saying then that uh, they claimed to believe in Moses but they didn't really so by using one of their false beliefs in a parable he was showing that they were in the wrong and were rejecting the truth uh, as it says there at the uh, verse 31 but he said to them if they do not hear Moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rise rose from the dead 
and before he told the parable, he says in verse 15 of Luke 16, he said he was talking to those who justify themselves before men, but God knew their hearts, and he was just trying to illustrate how they were wrong in what they were trying to do in justifying themselves. So then, in, in that passage, Jesus wasn't trying to teach us about life and death at all. So we can't use this passage to teach uh, that hell is a place of torment. Now we said there were two Greek words used uh, in, for, that are translated as hell in, in the authorised version. The second Greek word is the word Gehenna. Uh, and it's passages where this word occurs that seem to talk about hell fire. And there are twelve places in the New Testament where, where it's used, which I've got on the screen there. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse um, Matthew chapter 10 and 18 Mark chapter 9 and uh, Luke chapter 12 now some of those passages Matthew, Mark and Luke they're parallel passages talking about the same uh, event uh, but in, in the different gospels the word Gehenna is actually a corruption of uh, two Hebrew words the one Hebrew word Gai meaning a valley and Hinnom and the valley of Hinnom was a place just outside the city walls of Jerusalem and in New Testament times it was the place where they took all the city rubbish to be burned now because there was a lot of uh, rotting rubbish there it would be infested with maggots and worms and because of this and because there was always a fire kept burning there the Jews had a saying about the place uh, they said that it was the place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched and Jesus quotes this passage uh, that quotes that saying in, in Mark chapter 9 and in verse 44 and 46 you say there uh, in Mark 9 verse 43 if your hand causes you to sin Cut it off, it's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Uh, and again he says a similar thing in verse 45 about the foot if it causes you to sin. Cut it off, better to enter into life lame uh, than to go into hell where the fire shall never be quenched or where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. They didn't just burn the rubbish in the Valley of Hinnom. Very often the Jews would cast the dead bodies of an executed criminal into the fire to be burned. That was because as criminals they were considered no better than rubbish and weren't fit to be buried properly. So we can readily see what Jesus was saying in this passage in Mark 9 or in Matthew 5, if you look at the parable, where he's talking about cutting off a hand or a foot to prevent us going into hell or Gehenna. If we're tempted to do some sin with our hands or our feet, then it's better to, to remove the source of that temptation, to, to cut it out of our lives, rather than take the chance of being caught and being executed as a criminal 
And even if we're not caught by the law, then God sees, sees our sins and we could lose our life in his kingdom. So again, we see that Jesus isn't teaching us that we'll be cast into a place of eternal torment when we die. What, what he's doing is using a common practice of dealing with offenders as a warning to beware of the judgments of God. So let's uh, quickly summarise then what we've just been saying. We can say that the Bible does not teach that we go to heaven when we die. But it does teach that we go to hell at death. All of us go to hell, whether we've been good or bad. However, hell is not a place of eternal torment, which some people believe in. The Bible hell is no more than the grave. It's no more than the grave where our body is placed when we die and all knowledge and feelings cease. So is there no hope? Are we destined to spend eternity in a grave? Now the passage we looked at earlier in Acts chapter 2 is again interesting. If we look at um, verse 34 that uh, Acts 2 it says there for David did not ascend into the heavens but he says himself the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool and that's a quote from the Old Testament if we go to 1 Corinthians 15 which we had read together at the beginning of this meeting that same Old Testament passages alluded to there uh, that, that Peter alludes to in Acts 2 uh, where it says the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now when we look at that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 it says in verse 22 something very interesting for as in Adam all die even so in Christ all shall be made alive but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. So here we have a promise that we can escape death and come alive again. At his coming, if we are Christ's. Now we're going into another subject altogether now, uh, which it will be dealt with from time to time from this platform. But there are many other passages which tell us something similar and that give us a picture of that day when Jesus returns to the earth and establishes God's kingdom on earth. But the important thing at the moment to notice is that the promise of life after death and spending eternity with Jesus is conditional. It's at his coming and if we are Christ's. So it depends upon our response now. If we've been followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then to be placed in the grave will, uh, will not be our eternal punishment. We won't stay there forever. If we've been followers of Jesus, if we've tried to follow Jesus in this life, hell or the grave will not hold us. 
but will be raised to life everlasting to live in the kingdom of God on this earth now we ask you then to go on to find out more about what is involved in being Christ's and being one of his followers so that you needn't be eternal, spend eternal life in hell thank you we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times go to our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org dot uk